Turn your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. A mother remembers introducing her son to the cleansing power of confession. It was a bright afternoon in the early fall. My youngest son and I had just come home from kindergarten. He was a student there and I was an aide. I was fixing lunch when I heard it, someone pacing back and forth in the bedroom right above the kitchen, back and forth and back and forth, and I knew that we were the only two home, so it had to be my son. I went upstairs, and I hesitated a moment, then I knocked on the door jam. Honey, I said, what's wrong? He didn't even look up. He just shook his head no and and kept pacing back and forth and back and forth. What is it, I insisted. Again, no answer. Are you in trouble at school? No, he shook his head. Well, please tell me what's bothering you. I entered the room and touched him on his little shoulder. I can't, he said. Of course you can. I'm your mother. You can tell me anything, he said. No, no, I don't want you to know, the kindergartner replied. Have you done something wrong? He looked up finally. Yes, he said. Well, if you can't tell me, then you can tell Daddy when he gets home. His whole body began to quake. I don't want him to know either. Is it something that would make Jesus sad? I was fishing by now. Yes, he said, it would have made Jesus sad. Well, feeling helpless, I looked at him, only five years old and so distraught with guilt. I needed to help him, but how? Suddenly, the Catholic mother says, it came to me. I know someone you could tell, someone who could help you make things right with Jesus, but who wouldn't tell anyone else, wouldn't even tell me or daddy. He looked a little bit surprised that such a person might exist. Well, would you like to go and see him? I asked, and he shook his head, yes. Okay, let's go down to the church then, I said, and see if we can find the priest. I remember the long walk down to the parish, The end of our block, his small trusting hand clasped in mine. We didn't talk. I was praying the whole way that the priest would be there to help my son and his little soul. The church was dark inside when we opened the door, and our eyes had to adjust from the daylight to the darkness of the sanctuary. But there in one of the front pews, I saw kneeling down a priest that I, I knew well from a nearby Jesuit college. That's Father Schmidt, I told my little boy. He's very nice and close to Jesus. Shall I ask him to help you? He nodded. Yes, he wanted the help. The priest's eyes smiled as I explained to him that my kindergartner was probably too young for a formal confession. One is never too young to feel sorry for sin, for wrongdoing, said the priest. Guilt is a gift. Guilt is a gift. I had time to to wonder how many adults would agree with that as I, I knelt far back in the church and watched the drama of forgiveness unfold. One with hair of iron gray, 
the other with blonde curls. I watched, and Father Smith would ask my kindergartner a question. He would nod his head yes or no, or sometimes I could tell he was making an audible response. But then it was done, the confession. The two figures arose, the tall and the small. My priest gave my son a pat on the back, and the child came down the center aisle, skipping, skipping. His face was lightened by a smile. Let's go, he said happily. Well, on the way home, we didn't speak of it. I never, to this day, don't know he's a grown man. What was bothering my son? What was dark on his heart? But I do know he grew up to be a good man with a good conscience. Guilt is a gift. Kind of odd in a a world today when the 11th commandment around us seems to be, thou shalt not get caught at thy sin. And if we do, then we deny and blame and point the figure to others. I want to notice a few things about this text. First of all, I want you to notice, to deny is to deceive. To deny is to deceive. Look at verse 8 of 1 John 1. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. To deny is to deceive, and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. To deny is to deceive. How many times did he wonder? When the phone rang, if this was a dreaded call, that would have him caught. How many times when an unrecognizable car pulled in the driveway, did he break out to a sweat, wondering if this was the car that at last was going to take him away? How many times when he got an official-looking envelope in the mail did he ponder, is this the letter to change my life? Is this the one that will take me back to the pen? Eddie Brown, 64 years of age, suffered as a diabetic, high blood pressure, heart disease, and much more. He has spent the last 44 years scrubbing floors, doing work as a a porter, working in restaurants, shining shoes at the World Trade Center. He did any job, any job that wouldn't require a security background check. In fact, for a while, he was a security man at a grocery store, paid $150 a week to watch the front door from his car. He was always taking odd jobs, those jobs that no one really bothers to check who you are, and he'd gotten away with it for 44 years. Now, his wife knew about his past, but not his children, not his grandchildren. By the way, he had 27 grandchildren. He had worked a a quiet, respectful life. He'd been a loving father and grandfather and husband, but it was 44 years of deception. Finally, it happened. A minor traffic accident. The other driver called the police. I wonder, as the policeman approached, did he know this would be the moment when the ruse would be ruined 
You see, Eddie Brown, loving father and grandfather, was a chain gang escapee. Would he be extradited in his poor health condition and his retirement? Would he have to serve the remaining four and a half years that he owed the pen or even more for running and escaping? His sentence was granted for a robbery that occurred when he was 19 years old, and now he was 64 years of age. The reporter was interviewing one of the front steps. He was surrounded by some of his kids and some of those 27 grandkids. And he says, I just hope I don't have to go back to jail, he said. His lawyer, Scott Buell, the Legal Aid Society, was negotiating with Florida authorities, hoping they could work out a deal for him to avoid jail time. Forty-four years of deception. Forty-four years of denial. How many times did he ponder, is this the moment that I'm going to get caught? To deny is to deceive. Some of us live like that. We not only deceive others, we are most busy deceiving ourselves. It wasn't ignorance that was a problem for those to whom John writes. It was a cover-up. It was a denial. It was a deception. This morning that we cannot say that our sin was a mistake or a poor choice. It was looking to God and saying, I'm going to do things my way instead of your way. Sin is open rebellion against God. We are in reality calling God a liar, John the Apostle says in verse 10. When we say we have not sinned, we make God to be a liar. For God's word says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions in this room. There are no exceptions for those watching by way of television, those listening on the radio. There are no exceptions. All have sinned. I have sinned and you have sinned. And those to whom John the Apostle writes have sinned and fallen to meet the glory of God. A Presbyterian minister tells a story about his First year at a certain congregation. His predecessor had abolished the general confession of sins from the Sunday worship service, the Sunday order, the liturgy. And one of the first things this new pastor did was reinstate the confession of sins for the congregation. But there was a lot of resistance to change in that church. Why, in fact, in the heat of the moment of the discussion about whether or not they should add back the public confession, the corporate confession, as part of their liturgy, as part of their worship, one woman, an elder in the church, stood up and said, but I don't have to apologize to God for anything. What could she have meant by that, the young pastor thought? Did she mean that she hadn't committed any of the big sins? Had she not read in the Sermon on the Mount that God was as concerned with anger as he was with murder and as much with lust as he was with adultery? So she'd be in trouble on those accounts. Did she mean that she didn't have to apologize to God that when she sinned, she'd hurt someone else and she'd need to apologize to them? 
Has she forgotten the words of the psalmist and the song when he says, against you, O God, and you alone have I sinned, for all sin is sin against the God of the commandments. We cannot deny. We cannot deceive. Second thing I want you to see is to confess is to cleanse. Deny is to deceive, but to confess is to cleanse. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus. Look at the words. Cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They go together, don't they? Confession and cleansing. Confession and cleansing. It's an amazing thing that God forgives us for all of our sins if we confess them. It should have been me on that cross. It, it should have been you on that cross. But there he is, the sinless son of God, beaten, brow pierced, spat upon, cursed, and marked, bruised, broken body. He died in your place, in my place, but he died for the purpose that you could confess your sins and I could confess my sins and we could be cleansed. There is nothing more freeing and rejuvenating than the renewal of repentance of sin. I wish this morning that the people of God could learn about the power of, of forgiveness. I wish this morning that the family of God could learn about the power of forgiveness. I don't know how or why we do it, but so many of us refuse the forgiveness of God. Oh, we know theologically that we have sinned and Jesus hasn't and he died on the cross in our place. And yeah, if we confess our sin, he will forgive us for our sin. Oh, we could recite the verses and the chapters and the books. But deep down in our own hearts, we have rejected the cleansing of God and we insist on carrying old sins from yesterday into today. If I were God, I would ask you, what more did I have to do for you to receive cleansing? I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross. I gave the biggest and greatest gift. I did everything that I could, and yet you do not confess, and therefore you are not cleansed, and you carry your old sins, and God must be wondering... I gave you my son. If that's not good enough, I'm God, and I don't know what to do. The word of God is clear. If we confess, he will cleanse, and he will cleanse us not from some, but from all unrighteousness. Sometimes we insist as the people of God of going around in stained garments when we're called in Revelation 22 to be conquerors and overcomers, to be those who are the forgiven people of God who wear the white garment of those who persevere. 
what would God need to do for you to enjoy his forgiveness? The hymnist wrote, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. William Cowper penned those words in 1771, and he called the essence of the words of the Apostle John, if we confess, he will cleanse us from all our sins. The opening line of Huxley's novel, A Brave New World, offers an alternative confession and cleansing. He penned, rolling in the muck is not the best way of getting clean. Rolling in the muck is not the best way of getting clean. And some of us here this morning and some of us watching by way of television, we have rejected the crucifixion of the Christ. We know it in our heads. We've not practiced it in our hearts. And we are reminded by Satan of yesterday's sin. And we are defeated by the thing that Jesus went to Calvary to give us victory. There's a third thing I want you to see. To be forgiven is to be free. To be forgiven is to be free. Look at, look at chapter 2 and verse 1. My children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate. It's the word for a lawyer, a counselor, a go-between, an attorney. With the Father Christ Jesus the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, the payment for our sin, and not for our sin only but also for those of the whole world. To be forgiven means we're free and that God has actually forgotten our sin. When God forgives, God forgets. God has said, I will remember their sins no more. Some of you here this morning, you, you know the theology of redemption and you understand the power of forgiveness, but somehow in your head, you've not appropriated in your hearts. You have, you have followed the deception of the community to which John writes. You have denied and you have deceived and we are to confess that we might be cleansed. Some of you are old enough to remember maybe a decade ago, there was a particular airline and you didn't get a signed seat, you got a card and you, you sat in the, the lobby there with a card and then you got on the plane and for some reason on these strange planes, there were certain sets of seats that flew backwards. Do you remember those seats? You tried not to get in those seats because when you take off, you're falling out the whole time that you're, you're taking off. Do you remember? And you had that kind of awkward thing, you're face to face with somebody else in these old airplanes. But the people who got on last and had to, had to seat in the backward position, they made their entire air flight, their entire journey looking backward. They couldn't see where they were going. They could only see where they had been. Some of you hold on to your sin like that. 
You're so busy looking at yesterday's sin that you cannot look at the forgiveness and the freedom of the future. If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. But if we confess our sin, He is righteous and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I wish some of us here this morning perhaps for the very first time in our lives would understand that God's forgiveness for us is personal and it's real and Jesus died for you. He died that you might have the ability to confess that sin, be forgiven for that sin and forget that sin as God forgets it. Maybe today is your day for the first time to appropriate in your heart the gift that God has given you on the cross that you cannot deny but confess that you have broken God's word and you are wrong, but Jesus died for it and you are cleansed. God gave you the blood of his son by which you are cleansed. There is no other way. There is no other gift. And it is yours today. Let us pray. Oh God, there's some of us here this morning who need to know the power of forgiveness. Some who here today have heard the story of the crucifixion, yes, a thousand times, but have never made it their freedom in Christ. Maybe there's some who need to come today and say, I'm a sinner, which makes her or him like everybody else in this room. And I want to say today that I accept the death of Jesus on the cross for me, for me, that I could be forgiven and free. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.